All right, and I am live this uh, Wednesday, March the 9th, 2022. Uh, Stephanie Edmonds is on the way. She's running a, a little bit late, but that's okay. We're not going to hold that against her. <laughs> and uh, so what we got going on tonight, Stephanie Edmonds, um, I believe she's up in Connecticut, if my information is correct. And uh, she's been fighting mask mandates and for her job, basically. And uh, we're going to get some updates from her. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we'll guess we'll uh, get through uh, plugs and everything else. Uh, if you guys could uh, head on over to uh, Lorenzotti.coffee. And if you want to put in my promo code RWAC at checkout, you'll save yourself 10% on uh, some very delicious uh, coffee. And uh, any order over 15 bucks is automatically free shipping, which you can't beat that deal with a stick. Uh, also, I got a one-star review recently that just had two words and it was very simple succinct to the point and it said you stink i don't know if this person has ever been in my presence i uh, tend to shower uh, pretty regularly to not stink but uh anyways i'm going to uh, take a page from the old tom woods and the uh, eric d july's out there and i'm going to monetize a hater so if you go over to my uh, merch store uh which is going to be listed uh in the show notes and everything it's uh over there on Teespring, uh, if you put in "you stink" as the promo code, you'll save yourself ten percent there as well. I've got a whole bunch of uh, T-shirts and everything. Uh, I think everybody will like it, uh, so check that out when you get a chance. Uh, other than that, uh, I guess we'll uh, catch up on some news before Stephanie pops in, uh, which is always a <laughs> always a fun thing. Oh, this is good. Uh, Patriot missiles to Poland. CIA warns going to get ugly. Russia bombs maternity ward using thermobaric rockets. Putin chemical weapons fear. Um, so basically that's like the front page of uh, Drudge right now. And uh, it's going to get a lot uglier before it gets any better. Uh, but it seems like uh, Stephanie just popped in. So let's uh, bring her up. Stephanie Edmonds, how's it going? Hey, hey. Sorry about my late arrival there. Oh, that's okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're a busy lady. <laughs> I am. I actually just came home from uh, an event I did here locally. So nice. That was a uh, good times. Thanks for having me on, though. I appreciate it. What's going on? Oh, not much, not much. We just wanted to catch some uh, updates from your uh, uh, your fighting the law up there. Uh, it, it was Connecticut, right? Am I got that right? Yeah. So I live in Connecticut, but I was working as a teacher in New York City. So I was like living ah, out, there, okay. right out there, but I'm actually from Connecticut, born and raised just over the border, right outside New York City. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I, I claim New York City, but I technically live in <laughs> Connecticut. Yeah, that, there's a lot of that in big cities. Like typically when you say you're from somewhere, you actually live on the outskirts of it somewhere. <laughs> It's like uh, for a long right. time, I would just say I lived in Houston, even though I didn't live in Houston. I lived in like Spring or Pasadena. Or right, because so. it's just too hard to explain. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so tell us about the uh, I, I think you have like a court case about mask mandates saying uh, your job is possibly on the line as well. Right. Yeah. So we have uh, in New York City. I'm a New York City teacher and I'm currently on unpaid leave. And I may be terminated at any moment. I could open my email right now and I may be terminated. But um, yeah, we're fighting or we're challenging the city's vaccine mandate. So you may have seen recently in the news, oh, the key to New York City, which was the vaccine passport yeah. requirement for everybody ages two or no, uh, five and up to have two shots. Um, it, it was suspended 
keywords suspended, not suspended, ended. Yeah, yeah. But the worker mandate still stands. So that's for all private employers and city workers. Yeah, you got to love it when uh, government gets to tell uh, private companies uh, what they can do with their employees, right? Yeah. I I don't even still understand how that one works or how it's not being challenged, but the courts are unfortunately upholding these things, you know, cause we're yeah. down in New York city. We're, we're there. And the, of course, if you're in the state court, which is called the Supreme court in New York city, uh, the New York Supreme court, they're all, you know, local judges. So they're not going to go our way. And then we're yeah. in district two court for the Supreme court. So it's really not much better. So was uh, Antifa reached for comment about uh, the city of New York actually doing fascism or nothing? <laughs> Crickets. You know, uh, there, we, I, I rally with a group called New York Freedom Rally, and we definitely have like, you know, on the ground activism, little run-ins with like Antifa associated people. Um, yeah. They have their their press out there, but they're not out with us protesting against the vaccine mandates. Oh no. Yeah. They're all for it. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Who knows what they are like in New York city. They really haven't been out since the black lives matter stuff ended. They haven't had any real presence. Um, mm. Even, I mean, the local BLM has had more of a presence presence. We actually did an event um, and we have people who are New York, you know, BLM members in our kind of like New York freedom rally group. Um, but I would say that the New York Black Lives Matter, and they've even said this themselves, that they don't necessarily associate themselves with the national Black Lives Matter group and that they have a slightly different agenda. So we, we have done some events with them because this is definitely, you know, if you're going by their definition of like what racism is in terms of like the way that the statistics work out of who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated. So who's being discriminated against by the vaccine mandates. It fits that definition. But I also just think more broadly, it's it's discriminatory. Yeah, just all the way around. Yeah. But uh, as it turns out, uh, African-Americans tend to be uh, a little bit leery when the government says, here, stick this in your arm. I wonder why. I, I know. It's not like there's like a history there of you know, get, giving their men uh, syphilis and telling them nothing about it for decades. You know? Yeah, and there's there's been stuff even more recently, too, that's kind of been covered up and, and hasn't gained as much, as much national awareness. But, yeah, just in general, the relationship, I think, between uh, the black community and the government is not the best relationship. So whether we're talking directly about like it being medicine that they want to harm you with or test on you or whether it be flooding the community with crack and guns or yeah. whether it be, you know, just completely criminalizing the type of drugs your community does while, you know, the drugs that another community does. Oh, well, that's just addiction that we need to help. So definitely not a great relationship. But I also think that's something that people don't understand, too, about the black community so much is like there's a really deep tradition of. I, conspiracy theory feels like a dirty word, but, you know, in that realm of like storytelling and conception of how the world works and society works. Yeah. Uh, there's a, another podcaster out there and his episodes are like five hours long. But if you, if you can stomach sitting through all of that, uh, Richard Grove, he just calls himself a forensic historian. Okay. I like that. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, when he goes into his episodes, and like I said, they are five hours long. So if you're not listening on double speed, I hope you got a whole day to devote to it. But yeah, I mean, he will go through like the entire history. He'll pull up documents, he'll show videos and everything else. And he does a really good, great job with that. So it's mm -hmm. just, yeah, when he said forensic historian, I was like, Yep, that's exactly what yeah. it is. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a real thing, and that's almost like uh, some uh, hardcore history. I think I think he has the three-hour special on the yeah Dan Carlin or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm definitely yeah. The hardcore history is very good. Uh, we've got a guy that kind of runs in our Liberty Circles, uh, CJ Kilmer, who does the uh, okay. Dangerous History podcast, and his his are very very good. They're well sourced and everything else. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a historian uh, myself. That's what I taught when I was in the public schools. I was teaching 10th ah, okay. grade, uh, mostly global history, um, but I did a little bit of U.S. government and American history. That was also like something I studied, like took a lot of grad school classes in. Um, so I'm trying I'm trying to do some like history based content myself. Yeah, yeah, that's it's definitely needed because when people you start hearing history and, and especially in our circles, you know, it. We're, we're talking about history that's maybe not told from the side of the victors too, too often. Hmm. And so the, you know, the eyes start rolling up in the back of their heads and their eyes glaze over. And then you start going into economics with it, kind of like taking the Murray Rothbard approach to it. And it was like, <laughs> this is why this was bad. And, you know, George Washington was a terrible general and right. Yeah. <laughs> this so type of stuff. And it's like, Oh no, I make, no we're talking economics. For, uh, I make content for a place called chalkboard review. And they do like education content specifically, like education news, breaking news, education stories. And yeah. um, they recently had an article on about how the New Deal is taught and how it's really. Oh, I'm taught. sure it's just like unicorns and rainbows and right. everything else. The government <laughs> saved us and da 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 da. And it's like, well, actually, maybe we should question that narrative. You yeah. know, did government really save us or what was the government's role in it and da da da. So I, I thought it was really good. And what I found interesting too is I found that had a very large overlap with a lot of this stuff that's like CRT. Right. A yeah. lot of it's like, well, we have to question the narratives and we have to do that. And, and, I think yeah, that, question the narratives, but no, 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 not like that. Right. That's the problem. It's like, I do yeah. think that there's so much overlap there and that's where people get caught. That's where really smart people, right. Get caught into the trap is because we should question narratives, yes. right? We should look at things from multiple sides and we should say, well, this is the victor's narrative. Like, let's look at the other side of things. And they have that part correct. Right. Yeah. And that's like a really big part of it. But the problem is that they take that that how right that's how you should do it and then they also add on that like well it, this is what you should fill in those hows with yeah and they're just uh leading by the nose may be a bit strong for me to say but it definitely feels like that you know because if the the only thing that they're sourcing is like snopes and politifact and cbs and msnbc you're like yeah ah, i mean some people on. will like they have their scholarly literature though for sure like you know like they have the kimberly crenshaw and they have the the bell um and they have they have their people delgado is another big one of yeah. the the foundational texts and some people can speak to that I think that the problem is it's like the template is just like so much the same over and over again. It's like oppressor oppressed. Right. Yeah. And and there's no change in like the technical language when you move from one field to another, it's just like co copy and paste. And that's not really, it's, it's, it just doesn't work. Right. They yeah. just, 
put on their template over everything and it just doesn't work. Yeah. And uh, as far as the oppressor and oppressed stuff goes, uh, I've, I've read Marx uh, quite a bit in the past. And uh, I was like, it's like, man, he's he's almost correct. He's like almost there. Uh, but if he would just label whatever government is in place at the time as the oppressors and just everyday people as the oppressed, he would right. totally get it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I read it and I didn't hate I did not hate Marx to the extent that I expected to. Right. Yeah. Because like it had been built up as this like, oh, communism is so bad. And I'm le reading and I'm like, well, the people do have the power. Right. The people should have the means of yeah. production, but it shouldn't be in a way where it's like the part that they get wrong is it's like somebody has to give you the means of production versus yeah. like you go out and you create the means of production, I guess. And even yeah, it's like, like we need the central authority to, to command and control the economy. Cause I mean, let's get, let's get this straight. I mean, your proletariats are really good about, uh, you know, moving a pitchfork around to move hay, but I mean, come on, you don't know the ins and out of the economy like we do. Right. But it's like they never say that, though, necessarily in the book. Yeah, they're not going to be out, like, out. They're just like it. some mysterious power kind of comes in. It almost has like a religious aspect in that way. I need to read. I need to. It's been a while. Those are like the books like, you know, the the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, um, like the what's that one speech by there's like a, a, some foundational text it's like you just can't read them enough times and even though yeah. you know marx you know oh bad person like you it's really one of those texts and it's easy to read like you can read it in a day yeah yeah it's not it's not too intensive i mean as if you've read it before you can probably get through it again uh not too not too hard you never read it for the first time i mean it's uh right you want to take your time yeah, you want to take your time. You got to understand it was also written in the 1800s, so the the vernacular is a little bit different. So a little well, bit going back and forth. Read it. Definitely pick it up and read it because, like I said, I was very I was surprised the first time how much I was like, okay, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. Oh, okay. I, I stopped <laughs> agreeing with you. You know, like, and and I think that that's what we need to do too. Is like I tried to look more for the common ground with people than it versus like what I think that we're so apt to do i think just naturally right like look for those differences and then it's it's heightened by all of like the yeah. social media and all these other things but i really try to look for the overlap because like we we do we agree most of the time over 50 percent <laughs> on over 50 percent of the stuff yeah it's like even down here in louisiana uh you know i was with the libertarian party there for a little bit and i was uh telling them i was like yeah i went and talk to the Democrat socialists who were out there changing brake lights on Plank Road in Baton Rouge, which is like the hood of Baton Rouge. It's the North Baton Rouge part. And uh, they were out there changing brake lights in order for people to not have that one police encounter. You know, and I was, there was like, yeah, but we can't do that with the socialists. I was mm. like, but why not? <laughs> you know, we both agree that police are bad. You know, we all have the, you know, hashtag ACAB on our stuff, you know. <laughs> We can go out there and help them change brake lights. And, and it would be kind of weird for the people. It's just like, wait, you're libertarian and that's a Democrat socialist? What? You know, but at the same time. Right, right. No, it makes sense. Like, that's a big issue, too. Like, that's where I actually find myself at odds with a lot of people. I'm like, well, I'm not, like, anti-police. You know, I'm not an ACAB person, you know? Because I do believe, like, okay, if I'm, I think that the role of government, right, is to create a safe environment for me to do business. 
Yeah, I mean, it should be there to protect your property and your right. rights. So I'm not bare like minimum. anti. I'm not anti. Like, if I have a society, like if I have a home, I have security for my home. I promise you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I understand the concept of police. I'm not against it. Like, I think it makes sense. Right. But I'm against like being too like gung ho about that person because that person is going to turn around and use the same power you've given against them. Right. So it's like you you want to support them, but you also want to be suspicious of them and they should be welcoming of that. Right. If you're in a position of power, like I'm always like to people like, listen, I love you guys. Like, please give me praise where I'm due praise. But please, like if I'm doing some dumb stuff, please slap me (laughs) and tell me, you know, like, please put me in my place. Yeah, I've I've often uh, made some Republicans uh, face scrunch up at this one because they they don't exactly know how to handle it. And I was like, yeah, police work is so important. I don't want the government anywhere near it. (laughs) And they they just don't know how to respond to that at all. They're like, wait, what are you you talking about? That's funny. Okay, okay. I mean, okay, so then what do you do with the argument that it's like, okay, if it's not done by the government, it becomes like a luxury item. Right. Because that's my issue with school, too. Like, I want every kid to have access to a high quality education. Right. Right. And so what's the what's the balance between government and the people that achieves that? Same thing with my police. Like, so And, and we are nowhere close to having like private police and private investigators to the level of that where where I would like it to be at. Uh, Not even close to that. But if I could get just some modicum of civilian oversight of police, just, I mean, just a little bit, and we strip them of uh, uh, qualified immunity, that would be a huge, huge step. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a big thing is like, I know here, I just had a conversation with the Republican, the top Republican candidate for governor in Connecticut, Bob Stefanowski. And one of his things was we need to keep qualified immunity. Yeah. Oh, and I like I have a, a cop friend um, and he talks about we need qualified immunity, you know, and like I want him to feel protected. Like, I think he's a good guy. Like he's you know, he's done like he's done a lot of things like for me, like he took off my door and and. And he took off my whole like slider door in the back to get my couch. And, you know, like the, we've been through things where their family's been there for mine. So he yeah. says they need qualified immunity. I, I want to I'm inclined to believe him, but I know the other arguments against it as well. Yeah. And it's like some of these people, they, um, you know, they've been told the, the term and they haven't really looked into it too hard themselves. Like if they uh, knew what was going on with uh, Warwick versus Dunn. Uh, or might have been Warwick versus District of Columbia or something where they uh, basically said that cops have no obligation to protect the, you know, the individual. They, they you know, they have this, you know, public at large uh, caveat to it. Uh, so I think if they were a little bit more read into it, they would say, OK, I can kind of understand this. But uh, yeah, at the same time, this is why everything needs to be more localized. We shouldn't have like federal funds going into local police departments either. So that would also mm-hmm. be a huge step. I like, I, I think that that's one of my broad goals. I, I want to see more rights return to the States and I want to see more rights return to the local levels. I want to see more, um, what's it called? Uh, decentralization i think like you know like i think that that's kind of like one of the natural processes that you see over history right you have to kind of centralize things centralize um your resources so that you have enough wealth to like create 
some new invention, the next evolution of society. And then you kind of have to like decentralize again because those powers become tyrannical. So then yeah. you have to like give them back over to the people and then you kind of go through that again. Then they like, boom, come centralize, create the next thing. So I definitely think that we're in an era of decentralization. Yeah, it needs to be. And I was the uh, the elections chair of the Libertarian Party of Louisiana. So I was like, and I was telling him, I was like, look, you're, you're not going to win. But if you do, your job then becomes decentralize and repeal. Mm. You know, you have to get as much of the power away from that office as possible and repeal a whole bunch of laws while you're at it. Right, because everybody wants to get in there and they want to make laws. They want to change things. They want to do yeah. things. But we need to get that attitude of, no, you're in there to do less. Yeah. To take away things. And you yeah. really have to go in there with people who don't have the intentions of – I. it's like it's so hard for me to even comprehend, to be honest. <laughs> Like, it's so hard for me to comprehend somebody would just, like, go into politics to make connections and make money. Like, I just, like. Oh, man. Not until you talk to them. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, I see these people, but I'm like, how how are you like that? I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, it's really. And I'm, I'm not a naive person, I don't think. Like, I've been a lot of places. I've done a lot of things. Like, I've been in dangerous situations and, like, navigated my way out. I've Whatever. Like, but just in terms of, like, I do what I need to do to get through situations. But my, me, myself, like, I had my, my catalytic converter stolen out from the bottom of my car. Oh, yeah. Just, you know? Yeah. And uh. it's like, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, my God, how can you, like, go and do that to somebody? Just go take their thing. And on the other hand, like, I get it. Like, you're pretty, you know, like, if you're dirt poor and you don't have anything to do, I don't know. It's just like, oh. Well, uh, to them, they view it as a job. And they don't really see the person that they just ripped off. So it, it's like to them, it's, just, well, I'm just taking this thing out of the bottom of a car that's just parked here. So, I mean, if they saw you walking up, it was like, oh, well, she seems like a nice lady. But at the same time, it's like, oh, but I'm walking away with her, with her catalytic converter. No. I Politicians just... ha often have the, have the same thought process because, you know, right. we're faceless. Because, uh, you know, at the federal level, it's like, what, 775,000 to one congressman? Something ridiculous like that. No, yeah, it's a lot. It's a, we're faceless. I know, but do you think it's like a certain type of person that gets into that job? Like a certain type of person, like I don't know if they're like sociopathic or is it more like the job makes the person and you have to be really, really special in order to resist yeah. those forces? Yeah, we ha we've, we've had a few special people in there that could resist it. You know, Thomas Massey, Ron Paul, uh, Rand Paul comes to mind. You know, just a just a few. Dennis Kucinich on the other side. Okay. Yeah, there's been a few. Uh, there's not many, but uh, I mean, oh, we even like saw that uh, with the Tea Party stuff. You know, the, some of the Tea Partiers got in there, and then, you know, all, now all of a sudden, you know, for defense spending and COVID spending, <laughs> everything else. Right. That's what I'm saying. They get in there, and then they see like, oh, I can get some inf inside information on trades, and then like make some trades. I can do this. Like I can do that, and like, and then you just start operating off of these different powers and influences i guess so it's like i get it i get it i just find it hard to engage in those types of behaviors like even at a low level maybe it's maybe it would be different if i was elected to office and i but i don't know like i'm here i'm holding the freaking line you know like i'm i'm giving up my seventy five thousand dollar 
a year salary job with great benefits. You know, I'm I'm tenured, which means absolutely nothing at this point since my union's not. Yeah, fighting. I mean, as you said, I mean, you could open up your email right now and just find the pink. Right, there, exactly. So. <laughs> but you know, like I was tenured, like you know, a few more years and I would be vested, and then you know, another decade after that, and I would be you know almost to retirement with my pretty sweet retirement package. Like you know, like I feel like I'm giving up like a lot in order to yeah. stand on my principle and so i don't know like i just i would like to think that even if i got to that next level like you couldn't buy me off yeah and it's anything like the last two years has kind of proved like it's the, they called us conspiracy theorists at the first at the first part of it and uh now that uh, a lot of this stuff is uh, we're becoming vindicated on it and it's like it's very hard for me to do the i told you so i told you so here here's the nine pages of uh of side effects that they didn't tell you about you know to wave that in people's faces and everything it was like oh you know these are your family eric don't be I know, Don't I know. Be that I guy. Just, like, like a one little I told you so and I'm good. I'd just be like, Oh, you see the fire documents that came out? Oh okay, okay, that's <laughs> it. Like I don't rub it in people's faces. Like I can move on. Yeah, it's like at the same it's at the same time, you know, I'm just gonna keep it in the back of my head. I was like, Oh, you should have listened to me. <laughs> right. Well, I do think that people should recalibrate like who they're listening to. It, yeah, at the definitely. very least. Like I don't I really don't need save face safe face like don't come to me with your apologies or any of that i don't expect that you know yeah. um but i do think that people are at least more open-minded and less critical of those people who have been right this whole time yeah yeah it's, and i saw this with my uh, my lefty progressive friends when uh, donald trump got elected because then they were you know coming around and asking me about how easy ar-15s were to use and everything and I actually got a couple of them to buy them. And then, uh, you know, then they just turned around and once Joe Biden got elected, they uh, sold them. And I was like, why? He's this like, do you have you no needed. idea how the pendulum swings? I mean, the next Republican that's going to come in is going to be that fascist that you've warned about. That, right. That's how bad that right winger is going to be the next time. Right. That's interesting. So they got him because Donald Trump was president yes. and they got rid of them. Yeah, and then while you know, while Obama was in, you know, I was like one of the bitter clingers that was holding on to my AR-15, didn't want to give it up, and everything. <laughs> it's just so funny because you're like, have you not paid attention to what I've been saying this whole time? Yeah, you need uh, them no matter what, guys. Yes, yes, and you know, I like to use the Marx quote. You know, the bourgeoisie, uh, you know, <laughs> should never give up their arms. You know, <laughs> listen, nobody should. I I do think that that's what's made like the difference between like us in a Canada and us in Australia and some of these other countries that have had it a little bit worse than us is, is that they really can't do that to the same extent here. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can even, uh, and I know correlation doesn't equal causation, but you can always find that the, uh, the states and localities with the lowest amount of taxation also happens to be the ones with a little more liberal gun laws. Hmm. It's kind of interesting how that works out. Yeah. Well, I do you think that there's some... Also, like, I guess the cities are less likely to have guns and they're more likely to have higher taxes. I think it's yeah. also just, like, an urban versus, like, rural kind of deal. But... Yeah, yeah. And even down here in Louisiana, it's like, we've got one blue city, and that's New Orleans. 
and they have uh, you know high taxes and quite a high crime rate and everything. And then you take a look at some of the other cities that we have here. It's like Baton Rouge and uh, Shreveport. You know, not as many, uh, not as many taxes, and they also have you know very loose uh, gun laws too. So, hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, I think just in general, it's you know, a lot of people have kind of gotten readjusted, even up here in New York City, right? Progressive of the progressive, blue of the blue. You know, resist yeah. sign in their window. They're they're sort of, oh, I don't know. Maybe there is something to the school choice thing. Maybe there <laughs> is something to this gun thing. You know that now that crime's coming up. So I, I definitely like. I mean, there's still pe plenty of people who are disillusioned, like totally, you know, lost in the matrix, blue pilled out. Like New York City is a trip. Yeah. I posted I posted a uh, reel on my instagram the other day when i was down in the city and there's listen i haven't worn a mask in the city in a long time like there's no enforcement on the subways or anything like that yeah you probably still see the signs everywhere though near universal still mask. you can walk past a cop i was on a car with with four cops without them <laughs> they don't enforce it it's not enforced these people self enforce wearing these masks and i yeah. just you know like it's really it's it's bizarre world there so i don't think people can understand it yeah but it's like down here in the south uh one thing i noticed like right at the beginning it was uh, mostly the white people that uh were putting the masks on at first and the black people weren't because they you know very leery about what government is telling them to do yeah and then uh after about six months or so, it's, it started flipping. Mm. I started seeing more African-Americans wearing it and less white people wearing it. It was like so bizarre. I was like, what is going on here? I almost want to ask them. But then at the same time, it's like, all right, I may be extroverted up to my eyeballs, but I'm not going to go ask somebody why they're doing it. So I've <laughs> seen – I don't know about at the beginning. I do, think, I do think it was sort of like that at the beginning. And then – and now when I see – well, around here – now that there's no mask mandates, it's, you know, there's not really many people still wearing masks. But I definitely saw for a while, like when there still was a mask mandate, that it definitely felt like more white people than people of color, I guess you can say. Yeah. Um, taking masks off. And I think, though, that might also have to go back to kind of like what we were talking about before. Like, does a person of color want to get into a confrontation with the police? Right. No, definitely not. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what it came down to was like, well, this is just another way for them to target me. So let me just wear my mask and be on with my day. Yeah. Versus, you know, and and I mean, that's at least what I've what I've heard from other people who've said it and just kind of like my read on like that social divide there by race in this case. Yeah, I, I just I just found it was kind of interesting because uh, you know anecdotal evidence is still kind of evidence, right. you know. So well, the, there's also what I noticed was the um, the gender divide, right? I'll see guys not wearing a mask and females wearing a mask all the time. Yeah. So and it's never the other way around. Like I've never seen a dude wearing a mask and a, and a, and a female not. Yeah, it's like even down here, it was like I wore. 
I wore them like right at the very beginning because uh, right at the very beginning, like nobody knew what was going on with it. Right, and, and the government was like, told okay, you not maybe to wear it might. At the beginning. Yeah, it was so... like maybe it might help, and then after that, I was like, no, this is stupid. I'm yeah, just, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah, taking yeah. this damn thing off. Yeah, and it's like in the and uh, down here in the south, for the most part, nobody really cared. I mean, there was a couple of people that I saw would get uh, get hassled about it, and the only place I ever got hassled was at a Whole Foods where the guy was like <laughs> about to call the police on me. And uh, I was like sitting there and I said, no, uh, you know, the governor's mask mandate order has a list of exemptions. Mm. And, you know, when he pulled out his copy, he goes, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And then on his copy, it had exemptions and he had that whole section highlighted. I was like, <laughs> you thought it was so important that you highlighted this whole section. Oh, man. <laughs> and that was the, that was like one of the things I was like, I'm just going to use your rules against you. I'm going to say right. it's difficult for me to breathe in one of these things. Exactly. So I'm not going to wear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some places would be like, I need documentation. In Connecticut, I think you were supposed to have documentation of your right. thing, which is like, like if you read the ADA, that's clearly against the ADA. Yeah, like the ADA it's against the ADA. It's against HIPAA because, yeah. you, you know, your medical information is just supposed to be between you and your doctor. And that's it. Right. Yeah. Like, I guess like HIPAA is about like your doctor sharing it with other people. So technically, if you share it with somebody, it's not a violation of HIPAA or something like right. that. But it is an, a violation of the ADA where you don't need to provide like all this extensive stuff to be like, I have a disability. Like people are yeah. supposed to like you need to be basically. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was kind of funny because uh, uh, when you follow like somebody's doing like uh you know rights checks and stuff on on youtube they had this one guy who was trying to walk into a building and they were stopping him for not wearing a mask and he goes and he goes it's it's your choice which one i sue you under the ada or hipaa which one is it he's like what and he's like you're they trying to know. yeah they're they're just told to stand out there and ask for a mask and that was it and it was like it's right. like a, the, it gets to a certain point that it was like just just go inside and leave me alone Right. Well, the same thing when we were doing the sit-ins. So uh, we were doing sit-ins in New York City because of the vaccine passports. And Civil disobedience. Gotta love it. People would say, well, this is a private business. And we're like, well, you're actually, you're a, a public accommodations, right? Yeah. So you're a private business that, that's public facing. So you can't discriminate based on this, this, or this. And they'd be like, well, we're, no, we're, we're a private business. And like, they just I don't know if they didn't get it or they didn't want to get it. And and that's what I just don't understand is what, I don't understand why regular people feel the need to enforce these things. Like when I was teaching, when I was allowed to teach. That's power tripping. Yeah. When I was allowed to be. teach and, you know, we had the mass mandate, I didn't enforce it. I never once. Well, that that's not a lie. I definitely have told kids to like put your mask up like. We, I did like um, field trips for summer school and like we would go places and I would rather be the person to tell my kids to put a mask up than like some like random guard coming over and telling them to put it up or something, yeah. you know, so I'd be like, hey, that guard's coming over, like put it up. But in my classroom, when I'm like in my space, I never once told a kid to put their mask up. Never once. Yeah. And, 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 you know, then they get it. They, you know, Miss Edmonds is that teacher. You mask up, mask down, whatever we could chill versus that teacher who's like, da -da, you know, put your mask on. Da -da -da, like, um, yeah. And I'm pretty sure where you're at, they, they have a few teachers like that. It's like these people are choosing to enforce this. Right. You go to a restaurant. Somebody doesn't have a vaccine passport. You're the only person who knows. 
Yeah. All you have, you know, I guess like you, they maybe they could be a a plant, and they're trying <laughs> to cat catch you. I mean, it's not out of the realm. But I don't know. Government does some pretty strange stuff sometimes. So. I mean, they definitely send their Gestapo out there. Like, I was at a restaurant when there's people out and whatever. They just, like, check. But I'm pretty sure, like, they knew that they were the health department people very clearly. Yeah. And they just had to, like, show that they were checking for it. Like, it's not like they're trying yeah. to trick them. But I'm sure there were people who got fines. But I don't know. If I had a restaurant, fine me. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't have a restaurant, so it's easy for me to say. No, there was a there was a good video. Uh, Dan Dix uh, lives up in Canada, and he does the website Press for Truth and everything. And uh, Canada has been like god awful about this whole thing. So he went into a restaurant with his wife, and the waiter came over and asked to see his uh, vaccine passport. So he pulled out his phone and just showed him like a cartoon picture on there. It wasn't a vaccine passport. The the guy looked at it, looked at him, and he goes, "This is the vaccine passport." You know, one of those type of things. And the waiter just said, "Okay, well, here's the specials for the day." Just <laughs> carried exactly. on. He just like had to make it look like he was looking at his phone. You know, right? It's like nobody's really enforcing this thing. I I mean, again, maybe who? Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm ignorant. I'm not a business o- a b- business owner of a restaurant. You know, I don't have a thin bottom line. I'm not just trying to get by. But again, I gave up a lot. I gave up. I gave up a really nice salary, a great profession. Yeah. So I-, I feel like it's to the same end as if I was a uh, owner of another business. And I, I want to give a shout out to my guy Josh Stalman. He's owner of Threes Brewery in Brooklyn because that's what he did. So he was he. He, I met him through Twitter. He helped us host a bunch of events for people who were unvaccinated, welcomed us into his restaurant, and um, he got basically canceled by some people out there calling him anti-Semitic and all these different words. Oh, but, yeah, of course. His, instantly become racist because right, and you're he, not doing the thing the government tells you to do. Right, and he put his restaurants on the line, and he's – you know, dealing with a lot of blowback right now, yeah. but that's the type of courage that it takes. You know, people like Jennifer say, who stood up to Levi's yeah. and said, no, I will not take your million dollars to shut up. Keep your million dollars and I'm going to keep advocating for Liberty. Yeah. Keep advocating for the kids. Yeah. The guys that ran the Attila's gym over there across the river in uh, New Jersey. Yes. Another good example. Yeah. And that guy's running for, um, I think he's running for governor of New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken. All right, good for him. Um, Ian, I'm not mistaken. Ian's Fitness. Ian Fitness. And then uh, there was another one out here in Staten Island. Um, Danny. Danny Presti. He's another one. Um, They they gave him all sorts of fines. He went to the court. He fought him. Not a single fine. They didn't stand up in court. So shout out to Danny. Yeah. And – yeah, you guys had it really bad up there. It's like down here in the south, I mean, there was businesses that followed it, but not very closely, so we didn't really have any legal challenges. And then, you know, once your governor gets uh, photographed in the uh, country club of Baton Rouge, uh, hugging and kissing on constituents and everything, it then becomes a mute, moot point. And, you know, he's like, he's like okay, I'm going to go for re-election. Know, it doesn't yeah. seem to make a difference in these other places. Like, yeah. in California, it doesn't seem to make a difference. That yeah, they had a they had a whole recall election for the guy with the 15 inch part in his hair, and guess what? He 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 beat it. That's <laughs> what so I'm saying. Like in all these places, these people can be blatantly violating the orders that they're telling other people to follow, and it's like, eh, 
Eh. No, but here's my thing about you people down there in your red states claiming that, oh, <laughs> down here, we have our guns. They're never going to come after us down here. We'll stand up to them. We'll fight back. Not like you people. You people voted for this, right? These are the type <laughs> of comments I'll get on some of the videos I'll make. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm like, no, like what you don't understand is that they're going to come for you guys different. They're yeah. already coming for you and you don't even know it because you're sitting down there hugging your guns and watching your football or whatever yeah yeah. you know it's like yesterday i just paid 469 for a gallon of gas that's how they're coming after you but also like i i do think like this digital passport system right the infrastructure for a lot yeah they call it a green pass right and why do they call it a green pass governments are funding it like so like these 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 companies are building it, but the governments are funding with our taxpayer money. And it's yeah. happening in these quote unquote red states, right? And so I think even in, in Louisiana, didn't New Orleans had a passport system for a second, right? Yeah, they had vaccine passports to get into businesses. And once again, it just wasn't followed. Right. Okay. So it wasn't yeah. followed. But all yeah. I'm saying is that, like, I really don't think anywhere safe. I don't think that you can just run off to a red state and be like, oh, like things are good now. No. Okay. They're cracking down super hard on the blue states, but that should just make people in red states that much more suspicious, that much more. Okay. Let's fortify. Let's play offense. Let's play, yeah. you know, like let's, we should be trying to save these blue states where are the business and cultural capitals of this city. That matters. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you have a different opinion with that mattering because like you're more like because I do believe decentralized, but I still think it matters. Yeah. I mean, to, to the point of, uh, you know, I don't really care what laws New York City passes because I, I don't live in New York City. Uh, but at the same time, I do like to go visit New York City every once in a while, you know, sometimes cool. just to yeah, just to kind of remind myself never to go there again. But, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, yo, there's nothing like a night out in New York City till like 4 a.m. Then you go to the yeah. hour spot. Then you watch the like, come on, a night like I don't want to live in this city. I'm good. Like I, but it's right. so fun. Like it, I mean, it used to be. Yeah, I kind of view it as like the same rules as Golden Corral. You know, eat there every five years to remind yourself never to eat there again. You know, so. It's... <laughs> I mean, I might go on a little bit more than that because I live like right outside New York City. Yeah, yeah. It's, like yeah. so hard to like just not go to the buffet and just like indulge. But yeah, I mean, it's like you know those places uh, they, they exist. You know, the you're not going to tell 10 million people that live there in that city uh, anything different. So I mean, like I said, it's a it's a good place to go visit. I mean, if you want to go see a play or uh, just even just going down to Times They're Square, still is requiring be, though the yeah. vaccine passport at some places because it's optional. So I think like they said, Broadway is still going to be like requiring it a bunch yeah. of the shows and like a bunch of the museums. So and just it's just once government kind of has put its stamp on it, then it's like now it's okay to discriminate in these ways. And if you look at history in any way, it's always been the government that's been protecting the status quo so it may have started right so for example like slavery definitely started for um you know business reasons right yeah. some type of business venture and people being taken advantage of but government then came in to protect that and keep it there when yep. businesses had kind of said well like this maybe not be the best thing for us right it was the pole carbon who really challenged a lot of the segregation 
because it just like it they couldn't sustain their business like it, it hit m- too much into their bottom line and as a restaurant why are you gonna turn away turn away customers right yeah it was the government that held that in place yeah not business yeah uh, fugitive slave uh, laws were enacted by the government you know so if you were in the south and you ran away from your owner uh, the, the first thing that they did was they labeled you mentally uh, insane because how, why would you leave? I mean, you've, you're given food and you're taken care of. <laughs> that type of thing. Well, they Benjamin called it drop Franklin, it to mania. Benjamin Franklin said it himself. A slave yeah. is an expense. And a sick slave? <laughs> Man, yeah. You can't have that. Yeah. And, and then you started even looking into it. And, and then by the time the 1850s rolled around, uh, you know, plantations were freeing their slaves and decided to pay them because they, they kind of figured out at some point the slaves were holding their little mini revolt by not exactly working as hard. So once they started freeing them and started paying them a wage, then they noticed productivity of cotton and the Increase. crops and everything started oh, going up. That's interesting. I'll have to look into that. I didn't I didn't realize that was a thing. Yeah, so uh, if we hadn't had the Civil War, it, it, slavery probably would have been a thing maybe up until about the 1880s mm. until it just would have been like this This is not profitable even to, right. even to do this anymore. Well, I do think what's interesting in the Civil War, like a lot of people credit um, Lincoln with freeing the slaves. And like he technically did free the slaves, but he didn't free the slaves because he thought that they should be free. Yeah, he, he freed them in the north. But he he yeah. freed the slaves because he thought that it would it was the best way to keep the union. Yeah. Yeah, and that so was a, it was all about state power. It wasn't about the people. Yeah, yeah, and Lincoln. Uh, anybody who's any read any uh, Thomas D. Lorenzo books uh, about Lincoln and everything is like this. Is like this guy was. <laughs> he was a work. Uh, he he was a piece of work for sure. So. All right, gotta but, write uh, that guy down. Oh, Thomas D. Lorenzo. Yeah, he wrote a book called The Real Lincoln, and uh, yeah, the, he's he's written some really really good books about him. Uh, he just kind of goes over through it, and then uh, I want to say it's like not too long ago they actually proved that he actually owned slaves while he was in the White House, which was another one. But I didn't catch all the sources on that one. I just kind of saw it in passing. All right, I'll have to check them out. I got them written down on my list. Don't worry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thomas D. Lorenzo. He's uh, he. Definitely knows the stuff, especially with uh, American history and everything. So it's really good. But uh, yeah, and it, it just all comes back to, you know, you got state power just exercising their power uh, just for the sake of it. And then um, so it just all goes back. I mean, politics are local. I, I think if we started, at, uh, you know, instituting this little thing called federalism that we used to do. Mm. you know, It's so ingenious. It is so ingenious when I think about it. Like... The way that they divided up power, right? So it's divided on two different planes and then and then on three different levels at those two planes at each level. And what just what I can't understand is how the legislature is letting this happen. How do you let the executive take your job from you? And create laws. Like, I just don't understand where yeah. our legislators are right now. Like, no, Governor, you are allowed to create these laws. Like, why are they not challenging? And the, I yeah, guess and, politically. And the, and the Congress is supposed to be the the most powerful branch of government, you know, because they're the ones that can tell uh, right. the Supreme Court justices to, to kick rocks. 
You know, they can hold the president to account. They're supposed to be the most powerful branch, and they just abdicated all of their uh, actually constitutional authority, if, if you believe in such a thing. And they just, you know, we saw it with the 1913 uh, with the Federal Reserve Act. They abdicated their authority to issue currency and credit for the nation. They gave it to a, a cartel of central bank, a uh, cartel of banks. You know, it's and it's just ridiculous. So it's like, what do you? Why do you think that happens? And do you think that there's a change that we could make to the way that we have the system in order to encourage the powers to check each other rather than to basically collaborate like you know like kind of it, it just seems like it's so politically expedient because the party has so much power and the president yeah. is it's like well i'm just gonna kind of go along with what they say like rather than challenge it because i want to win my next election i want to get the fundraising like yeah so how do we break well, that even with the fundraising thing they're they're forced to fundraise if they don't meet certain goals then they, they out, start losing right. yeah they start losing seats in uh committees and everything and thomas massey has actually talked about republicans like leaning on him to start raising dollars for the republican party and everything so right yeah yeah i saw um that or it, was, it wasn't him it was the it was the guy who used to be in and who's not out he was on um michael malice's podcast it's not massey it was uh he's not he's not justin amash yeah he it flipped was amash. To libertarian yeah amash he talked about that yeah uh that that whole episode was actually uh, should be like standard, <laughs> you know, this is the thing that we're going to show in our civics class, because this is that, this is what actually goes on in those hallways before they go on session on C-SPAN, you know, just a good illustration of what goes on there. So, I mean, for me, the only way to fix it is going to have to be national divorce. Uh, we're going to have to have states. So? Yeah, I think so. It's going to have to have states that are going to start breaking away uh, just because uh if you if you view the Constitution as a contract, the the federal government is not living up to that to their end of the contract. Well, I agree. I definitely agree with that. I think that it, it, people need to take what I what I don't consider radical because, like, I think that it's like those are your rights and that's what you need to do. But it's radical in the sense of like, I guess, in context of the regular political actions that you might take. Yeah. action to really take our country back so like i hope that we can do it without a national divorce i i don't think any national divorce would come without extensive bloodshed like i think that michael malice is kind of like um idealistic in the same way that like socialists are idealistic right like or or even libertarians like i think like perfect libertarianism is just like a uh, too idealistic it'll never be able to be achieved it's 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 well i mean it's 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 also that and people have gone to uh government schools no offense uh <laughs> for a long time and they've uh, been kind of taught that uh you know the the us the government is the supreme law of the land and everything else and they just can't think of a different way uh, we've seen uh, secession movements happen uh, over the world in, in history without any bloodshed. You know, Norway, Sweden comes to mind. We just had England separate from the European Union with no bloodshed. Okay. That's true. Yeah, so I, I, I think it can I mean, be those done. Are much smaller instances, though, than yeah. something as massive as the United States. Like, what I envision happening more is, like like you said, local. So, like, yeah. what's happening, for example, in my localities where we're creating – 
like these these groups so we have our you know our our parents group for the schools and then we're we're meeting in other small groups to support this candidate you know we met with the top republican candidate for connecticut and we're trying to build that up so like i think that if we can reinvigorate our local political scene yes and then also like where i was just at event tonight was for homeschooling right parents who are interested in homeschooling pulling out of the system and then competing right yes. so you need yeah. to have like, kind of like one foot in like the local politics trying to run your people and then and, you need to have and i'm all for out. parallel economies right so and I that's that's that i mean that's basically what it all boils down to especially with schools so it's like if the uh the government school isn't living up to the expectations right pull the kids out and start teaching them on the, on your own or getting a co-op of uh, homeschoolers together because you know you're a teacher and if you're not in the you know the government school system you know, private tutoring and creating your own classes for that. And if you can have like a group of neighborhood kids come together and you are the teacher for the neighborhood. Exactly. That's, and that's what we're, we're trying to do. Yeah. Like I was in a room tonight with 15 or so parents and that's what we were talking about. Okay. What are your needs? What are you looking for? How do you envision it? Or home people who are already currently homeschooling, sharing their story, sharing their experience, giving us resources. And so that's, that's definitely something that we're doing. Um, yeah. and what I had prepared for that night, I was like, Hey, these are three courses I'm doing this spring, sign up for these courses, you know? So that's, that's how I envision it happening i i don't see it like being a national divorce in the sense that like we actually yeah, have like in like i see just these parallel economies developing and now we're competing with them and then at some point you know maybe it's in my lifetime maybe it's maybe it's not maybe it's in another couple of lifetimes that these institutions that we're building the basis of now essentially replace these ones that are crumbling and have forgotten the kind of fundamental american values they were built on yeah uh, you know, when we talk about rugged individualism, it's like no man is an island. You know, we all lean on each other in one aspect or another. As you know, even down here uh, where I live, my little podunk town has just realized that the people that sit on the city council all are related to each other, and they all live on the same street of the city. Wow! And so, yeah. So they were they were all kind of like looking at it. it's like it's like wait, there's no like districts or anything. I was like no. No, they're all related to each other, and they live on the same street. <laughs> That's just their family. Yeah, so we just had, like, a big old meeting about this, like, separating up the city into different uh, districts and everything to right. to fix that problem. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there was, like, yeah, we need accountability because these people are just, you know, running, and everyone just votes for them because they're all related. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how it becomes. And, and I think that's one of the problems, too, is, is well, A, I like how you said, like, nobody's just an island on their own. I really think this idea of, like, individual versus community or, or like, even capitalism versus socialism is kind of like a false dichotomy right yeah it's 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 a paradox and every paradox needs that tension in order to actually be so otherwise it wouldn't exist like an yeah. individual needs community community needs individual like you don't have great communities without great individuals you don't have great individuals without communities so i i like to dispel that one right away and then the second part of it is again running for those local seats and knowing what's going on right yeah. 
for too long the american dream has become like oh i go to my nine to five job and i have my wife and kids and husband in our white picket fence house and like we have dinner together and then we watch the tv programming and then whatever we have we go to bed like this really you know i watch football and <laughs> I go hang out with the boys or I like have lunch with the girls like that's the American dream. But that's not the American dream. The American dream is being involved in your community and knowing what's going on and controlling the, the rules and the laws and the yeah. policies and, and write that contract, that social contract that we've entered into. We've forgotten that. Yeah. And it's you got to get to know your neighbors and everything else. And, and I've said it a hundred times. I don't call the cops you know I've, I've had neighbors that listen to you know loud music to the point where it's like vibrating the floorboards of my house and i'm like 100 yards away from this guy's house you know i'm not going to call the cops i'll go over there and talk to him and it's like look you got to turn it down you're, like, you're loud, vibrating the floor. <laughs> yeah you're being a little bit loud and then next thing you see is the the cop rolling down the street he's like well i thought you weren't going to call the cops i was like no i didn't but the old lady who lives next door to you did <laughs> You know, because this is what I'm trying to change just in my own little street. You know? Right. And that's where it starts. And that's also where yeah. you're going to feel empowered. Right. Yeah. You well, know, I mean, you've got more say so because, you know, I've seen, you know, one of those uh, city councilors that's related to the other ones like out in public before. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know you. You know, you're the house. You're the house on right there across the street from the other place. I was like, yep, that's me. And uh, it was like, oh, well, you know, I'm your representative. Like, yep. I, I know exactly where you live. I've seen your house. And I just leave the conversation at that. <laughs> Let them know you watching. That's what I'm saying. Let them know that you're watching for sure. I think that's 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 important. We have to restructure and recenter our lives really around our communities, and yes. and that means politics. I know a lot of people are like, "Well, I don't like politics." Well, that means yeah, that I try to be a political atheist as much as anybody else. I mean, the the voluntary V's behind me should you know give that away, but it's, but you know at the same time, it's like. To a point, you have to get involved. Uh, you have to. to. Being involved in your yeah. community is politics. Yeah. And you're going to have to be in their face. And you're going to have to bully them. You know, you're just going to have to. You've got to play. you got to definitely play the game a little bit. I do like, I would like to think that, you know, love and integrity and honesty and all those things win. I do think that you can play the game and still maintain those. You know, you yeah. have to really be on guard and you really have to watch yourself. But yeah. I truly do believe that, you know, good, like God wins. Yeah. Uh, it, this it, The only problem is the, uh, the good people don't want to have anything to do with power because they know how bad it is. And unfortunately, bad people love power and that's what they gravitate towards. So that's what I'm talking about. That I think yeah. that goes back to when I was talking about. Do you think that certain people are drawn to the job where the job makes oh, them? Yeah. I really yeah. do think that there is something about power and good people don't want to get around with it. But I think that we need our people that go out there and do that. I think you need your people that in, you know, in God's name, go out and say, I'm going to I'm going to mess with this this powerful drug of power. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be so close to to my God and my community that I can keep my head on straight. And that's something that I always like admire to do. And like, that's my number one focus when I'm doing anything is saying like, okay, how can I make sure like that this isn't about me, that I'm doing this about like God? Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're coming up on the time. Uh, 
this hour kind of flew by. Stephanie, you're really fun to talk to. Uh, love to have you back on again. Uh, it's hopefully if your uh, case actually, you know, you win it and everything else. So uh, go ahead and get your grift on. Drop all your plugs. Yeah, definitely. Listen, we're going to be <laughs> we're headed to the Supreme Court for an official full review of our case. So definitely be on the lookout for that. New York City teachers against the city of New York. And um, so Stephanie Edmonds, you can find me at Teaching Liberty on all the platforms. So Instagram at Teaching Liberty, YouTube at Teaching Liberty twitter at teach liberty one and then yeah. teaching liberty.org check me out there and you know let's build <laughs> definitely all right guys well uh thanks for uh joining us this evening and we'll come at you next week with a brand new episode of rebel with cause i got eric jackman on next week and we're going to do some really bad trump impressions to each other so that should be fun so <laughs> awesome thank you so much i really appreciate it all right you're welcome have a great night you too